Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben, and welcome to episode 280 of the podcast. It's May 3rd, 2017. A returning guest today is John Dyer, president of his consulting firm, JDNA Inc., and a contributor to IndustryWeek.com. As we discussed back uh, in episode 229, uh, John started his career at GE, later moved to Ingersoll Rand, where he had a number of roles. He had the good fortune to learn directly from W. Edwards Deming as he was able to participate in and, and later assist Dr. Deming in his famed four-day seminar that included the Red Bead Experiment. So today our focus is on that Red Bead Experiment. We'll talk about it. John will share memories of Dr. Deming facilitating this. We'll both share and discuss our reflections and our experiences with this and the lessons learned. Tomorrow, by the way, um, I am facilitating the experiment as part of my Better Metrics workshop that I'm leading in Seattle through um, the good folks at Catalysis. Uh, I'm also doing this workshop in June before the Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit that they sponsor with the Lean Enterprise Institute. You can still sign up for that workshop if you're attending the summit. And of course, I'd love to come to your organization to do the workshop, help you with your approach to managing metrics, people, and improvement. I mean, if you're not familiar with the Red Beat Experiment, you can go to leanblog.org slash 280, um, see links, uh, including some video of Dr. Deming uh, facilitating this famed exercise. So I hope you enjoy the discussion as much as I did. And uh, again, to find links to John, his website, his articles, and such, go to leanblog.org slash 280. We are again joined here on the podcast by John Dyer. John, thanks for coming back with us here. I'm glad to be here, Mark. So we talked to you back in episode 229, but for any of the listeners who haven't heard that episode yet, can you kind of give a, a quick synopsis about um, who you are, a little bit about your background and what you do? Okay. Uh, I've been in the continuous improvement field for most of my career, uh, spans a little over 30 years now. I uh, started with General Electric, I was with GE for 10. Uh, during that time, I had one of those kind of dream jobs where for a couple of years they asked me to go around and collect best practices. This was in the very early days of uh, Lean and Six Sigma. Uh, I had the opportunity during that time to uh, visit a lot of great companies, a lot of divisions within GE as well. I also spent some time with Dr. Deming back when, uh, when he was... Uh, still teaching, and um, um, I've got uh, a very fond um, set of memories from my time uh, with Dr. Deming during those days. Um, anyway, uh, like I said, I was with GE for 10 years, uh, then Ingersoll Rand, uh, the maker of products like Bobcat front end loaders at that time, uh, Schleg locks. Um, air compressors, club car, golf cars, a pretty wide variety of products. And uh, I headed up there uh, a team of folks that was asked to drive Lean and Six Sigma throughout the corporation on a global basis. I uh, worked for them for 10 years as well. And then I've been out on my own for uh, a little over 11 years now. 
uh, working with a wide variety of uh, great companies and organizations that are wanting to implement Lean and Six Sigma. And you know, I think we're going to take a deeper dive. You know, In the last episode, you talked about getting to meet Dr. Deming, getting to work with him uh, when you were at GE. But, you know, looking ahead, you know, here today, very contemporary uh, times, um, you and I have uh, both um, facilitated Deming's uh, what, what, you know, what's called the quote unquote red bead experiment or the red bead game. Um, but I'll defer to you. You worked with Dr. Deming himself. You've done more of this. Maybe I'll, I'll throw the ball in your court to explain um, this exercise and, and a little bit about how it's facilitated, if you can sort of you know, describe that in a nutshell, or a little bit more, a little bit more than a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I actually got a chance to see Dr. Deming do the red bead experiment twice and, and in person, and the, the second time I took very um, thorough notes because I was fascinated by the words Dr. Deming used, I realized the second time through that every word he used had a had a purpose mm. uh, to set up this experiment, and, uh, and and again, I just found that very fascinating. And since then, I've done the experiment myself um, many many times with lots of different organizations. So right up front, I will apologize for one thing. You know, having done this now for for many many years. Uh, I have incorporated a few of my own mm-hmm. twists and turns in the experiment. So if I get something a little bit wrong from what Dr. Deming did, uh, I'll, I'll apologize uh, up front about that. But like I said, I do have uh, very thorough notes, and I have tried to use his words uh, as, as much as I, I can. Um, to start off, uh, and again, all of these things were very purposeful. To start off, he basically told the audience that they were now all unemployed. And um, he put up on the screen, uh, on an overhead projector, uh, a series of one ads. Um, and the first one ad was for six willing workers. And he put on there, minimal education required. <laughs> now think about this, right? Why would he use those exact words? Yeah. What, what, what do you think was behind willing workers? And yeah, you're right. He did use that very specific phrase. Yeah. And, and again, my opinion is, is that it, he knew that in the audience there were a lot of CEOs and COOs and executives, you know, company executives that had come to see him. And I think he wanted to make it clear to all of them right up front that these were their employees. I mean, these were the equivalent of the employees that come to work every day in their organizations, their factories, what have you, that, and, and you know, that most of these workers, 99 plus percent, come to work every day wanting to do a good job. Yeah. And I think he planted that seed right up front that these are willing workers, people who want to come and work and do a good job. Now, and on the minimal education required, I think that was more to set it, the minds at ease of the volunteers. Mm. I don't. I think that he wanted to make it clear up front that they weren't going to come up on the stage in front of you know hundreds of people and have to do some sort of complicated statistical analysis. Right. Um, so I think that was more, but, but he did play upon that. Um, 
you know, during the actual experiment, he did kind of, you know, joke around uh, quite a bit about, now, wait a minute, don't you understand, like, don't you understand what gravity is? <laughs> uh, you know, and again, playing upon the fact that, hey, you know, minimal education required means that you got to at least know what gravity is. <laughs> um, so, so that was the first thing he did, you know, get six volunteers, and then he... Um, asked for two quality inspectors and a quality um, supervisor, if you will. Um, now, again, why did he want two inspectors? Uh, once you start to go through Dr. Deming's 14 points of management, uh, you start to realize that many of these points play out in the red bead experiment and this is one of them right um the point about uh ceasing inspection to improve quality mm -hmm. um yeah i've got the points here it's number three cease dependence on inspection to achieve quality mm -hmm. eliminate the need for inspection on a mass basis by building quality into the product in the first place um so again you know the the, the gist of the experiment for those who haven't seen it and you can you can go on youtube and and see it for yourself um or you know and you can see it actually or there's clips of dr deming himself facilitating it right right exactly um and so you can get the feel for how the experiment goes but basically it's you have six willing workers uh they're going to sample 50 beads from a bowl uh, that's mixed of white and red beads, and then uh, they take it to the quality inspection department and have the two inspectors count the number of red beads, which represents defects. Now, again, why did he use two inspectors? Because he knew, and I, I and this has happened 90 plus percent of the times I've done it as well. He he knew that the inspectors at some point in the activity were going to disagree with each other. <laughs> which again just shows how flawed inspection is. And when they did disagree with each other, it was kind of like, wait a minute, you know, you're just counting red beads. <laughs> you know, how obvious can these defects be? And yet you both can't agree yeah. on the number of defects. You know, what does that say about inspection? Yeah. Um, so now, all right, once he got the two inspectors in place with their supervisor, he uh, then turned to the six willing workers, and again, I found this really fascinating. He asked the six, which one of you six um, believes that you're average? <laughs> and, of course, the six willing workers kind of all look at each other like, you know, well, what does he mean by average? And then, But eventually someone will raise their hand, and he brought that person to the front of the line, and then he explained to the rest of them, now, wait a minute, all right, you know, let's just call this first person um, Phil. He would say, all right, now the rest of you, the other five, that means that you're either better than Phil or worse than <laughs> Phil, since Phil considers himself average. Now, again, it's kind of funny. It's like, okay, why did he do that? And, um, again, my opinion I think that he did that in order to have the first person, the one he's going to demonstrate this whole process to, 
to be somewhat, um, you know, um, humble, mm-hmm. if you will. I don't, I don't, you know, because usually you got to think when you when you get six volunteers, you're going to have one or two really high-strung, you know, uh, CEO types mm-hmm. that are going to be in the mix that are going to want to jump in and do it first. Yeah. And I, I think he wants, you know, he wanted to make sure the first person that went had a sense of humbleness about them that say, you know, yeah, okay, I, I'm kind of average. And that way it starts the experiment off on the right foot. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with, with someone who's not going to go overboard on doing the actual, um, you know, experiment. Yeah. Um, so once he, uh, you know, once he got the, the average person identified, he brought that person up to the workstation. He had, you know, basically two containers, one full of red and white beads and the other one empty. And then he went through a very specific set of <laughs> steps mm-hmm. to make uh, these beads. Now, again, this is very important because I have seen some people try to do the red bead experiment and and skip a lot of these steps. In fact, there's even a a bead box that you can buy where you basically just, sh- you know, shake the box and turn it over and it randomly samples mm. 50 beads. And that's great for doing statistical analysis kinds of training. Right. But it's not good for the red bead experiment because yeah. you miss out on all of these steps. And right. Well, there's nuance I- and there's different, there's, there's sources of variation in terms of how you hold the paddle, the angle of the paddle, which which direction you dip it in. There's all sorts of different ways a person could do the job in this sort of classic design of it, right? Right, exactly. But but keep in mind, really none of those things impact the end results. Right, right, <laughs> but, right. Yeah, but it seems but, like it would somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. The, the willing workers are sitting there going, wait a minute. Okay, I better follow all these steps because I want to do a good job. Yeah. Now, in their in their mind, they know it really doesn't have any impact, but in their heart, they really are trying to do a good job and they think, well, maybe, maybe if I follow all these steps, <laughs> I might get lucky, you know, or, yeah. or or maybe there is some impact and there right. really isn't. So you know, he, he, Dr. Deming tells the welding worker, okay, you know, the first thing you do is, is you, you pick up the larger container with the beads in it. you got to hold it on the side. You tip it so the beads come out of the corner. You let, And that's where he talks about letting gravity, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, move the beads. Yeah. And you understand gravity, <laughs> he right? Said, he says uh, gravity is cheap. <laughs> right. <laughs> And it's got to be eight centimeters above the uh, the other container, you know. And again, like, wait a minute, eight centimeters. So again, yeah. he, he's throwing in these these metrics that again have really no impact to the process, but it sounds good. Yeah, you know, it sounds like, whoa, okay, eight centimeters. I better do it. And then and the, and that the plane has to be, you know. Um, perpendicular to the, 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 the container you're, you're pouring the beads into. And then you pour the beads back 
into using the same procedure. And then uh, here, I, I, it's like um, I wrote these down. He says, okay, and then you take the paddle and you put the paddle in on the broad side, put it into the beads, not on the beads, but into the beads, agitate the paddle, and then do nothing. And then he repeated, do nothing. <laughs> then pull out the paddle at a 44-degree angle, so, you know, using the horizontal axis and then carry the paddle to inspector number one. And then I love this is then when he does it himself, right, he's showing the first person that, you know, how to do it. And, of course, you're going to get some red beads. I mean, it's just, you know, um, very, very difficult not to. Yeah. yeah. And he says, he tells the workers, I purposely made some <laughs> red beads. So see what yeah. they look like. Yeah, just to show yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, just to show you. Um, and then, so so now, okay, think about this. Back to the, why he was so adamant about following all these steps. Um, again, he's establishing a standardized, well-thought-out, yeah. methodical process but it's the wrong process when you think about the overall system, right? Right, right. So the system is broken because mm -hmm. of the beads mixture. It has nothing to do with the work. <laughs> right. Well, so one, one modification, I, I've tried to, to modernize the, the presentation of this, you know, very particular, if not fussy, standardized best practice way of, of, of getting the beads where I've, you know, I've created... Um, uh, a TWI training within industry job instruction with, you know, with key points and reasons why, and it might look like the type of document people are using today in the context of lean. And I, you know, I think it speaks to, you know, as you've been saying, the lesson learned that having all of the super detailed level standardized work in the world won't make up for uh, a badly or wrongly designed system. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Um, and, and, and think about it, right? In a typical system, you might have, you know, a hundred processes that are part of that system. All it takes is for one of those processes to have flaws and the entire system is going yeah. to have flaws. Yeah. Right. So here in this case, right, you have all these willing workers. They're very competent people. You have your quality inspectors. They're competent people. You have all these methodologies set in place to, to uh, make sure that the samples are done correctly. Yet in this case, the flaw is that the red beads are mixed in with the white mm -hmm. that came from supposedly uh, a supplier or somewhere in the supply chain. And that one flaw is causing the system to fail no matter how hard yeah. the workers try. Um, so that, I think that's a, that, that's one of the key learnings. And, and in fact, I, I wrote this down, let me see if I find it real quick. Um, from one of the, uh, uh, willing workers, uh, basically the, one of the willing workers said, um, you know, I tried very hard hoping <laughs> that I would do a good job. Mm -hmm. I tried to follow the methodology as best as I could, hoping that I would do a good job. And like I said, and but my mind told me 
that this was impossible. Yeah. Um, yet I still tried because I didn't want to let Dr. Deming down. And that led to tremendous frustration. Yeah. And think about all the workers out there that would say the same thing, right, yeah. about their job. They're trying to do a good job, trying to follow the methodology. They don't want to let their company down. They don't want to let their their team down if they're on a team. Yet there's a flaw in the system that they really have no control over, and it's causing tremendous frustration yeah. and, and morale yeah. issues. Yeah. Well, and, and just to further paint the, the, the picture about some of the mechanics, um, you know, uh, with you know, you're dipping that paddle in. You're drawing out 50 beads. 20 um, percent of the beads in the container are red. So on average, you would expect each per, you know, not each person, but on average, you would get 10 red beads. That is designed into the system. And I, you know, I, just, I pulled up a picture from the last time I ran this, and you know, you you look at some of the variation from person to person in the first round. You had the you know, the first person got six red beads. The second person got four. The third person got 15. The fourth person got 14. And then we got, you know, the last two people got nine and 10. So there's also sort of an inherent level of variation in the system, which, which I think is really interesting for people to see that on average in that first round, you know, I mean, they, well, they got 58 red beads. So that was slightly below the expected average, but yet you've got all this variation that, as you were saying, John, really doesn't have anything to do with the worker. But it's interesting to see how this starts to play out. Well, and in fact, uh, again, some of my notes here, um, Dr. Deming, even, you know, of course, he's trying to, um, in, a, in a very tongue-in-cheek way, trying to get the workers to think all along that it is their fault, right? Again, trying to... Uh, uh, paint this picture that, you know, again, talking directly to the executives in the audience that, hey, you keep blaming your employees when in fact they really don't have any impact. So, so like as an example, when the first person went up in the time that I did it, they only got four, which was really a good yeah. result, right? Like you said, the, the average is going to be somewhere around, uh, you know, uh, um, could be as highest 15 or 20 depending on the mix of the, the beads so four was great but he said he said wait what happened he said i said there there cannot be any red beads let you know and then he yells out halt the line stop production we have defects and he said he said you know he turned to the first worker he said what happened he said um you know and the, and the worker said well you know i tried to do my best and he said well um, you know, variation, I thought this was an interesting quote, he said, variation is uncalled for. He said, we're using a very rigid procedure, so how could there be variation? Again, back to the <laughs> system that, you know, hey, yeah, they are using a very rigid uh, procedure, but the variation has nothing to do with the procedure, it has to do yeah. with the supply. Um, so anyway, yeah, he, uh, you know, like you said, you know, and you laid it out very well there, the, the first day uh, you have a, a good mix. And, uh, um, and then what Dr. Deming did is, is basically, and, and, and the way I put this to folks is, is, you know, think about like rolling two dice, right? 
if you know if you roll two dice, the average is seven, but the range can be anywhere from two to twelve. Even though two is very rare and twelve is is rare, um, but the average is seven. Well, to your example. You know, the average is going to be somewhere around, uh, what did you say on yours? Well, in that first round, they got 58. So it was slightly below 10 per person. But you're right. It depends on how the beads happen to be mixed. They're not going to always be uniformly distributed within that container. Right. So so, uh, if you were to put this on some sort of a control chart or even a histogram, you start to realize that like in your case, the average is 10, probably the low end of the extreme is one or two, and the high end of the extreme can be, you know, 18 or 19. Yeah. Um, but so think about it, right? In the first day, there's always going to be someone, well, not always, but most likely someone well below average and, and someone else that's well above average. So he turned to the one that was well below average and said, you know, basically, um, made a real big deal of it. So the guy who got four, right? He's like, oh, you know, this is one of our best employees. <laughs> you know, uh, he, they deserve all kinds of praise. And in fact, let's make him employee of the day. And we're going to give him a nice bonus yeah. in his paycheck. Uh, and then he turned to one in, in that first day. Uh, someone got 13. And he turned to that person and said, okay, clearly you don't care. <laughs> you know, you don't Chill care about your job. And, uh, and in fact, you're now on probation. Uh, and uh, if you do not improve, we're going to have to let you go. Uh, again, you know, uh, starting to introduce fear, uh, which again is one of his 14 points, right? It's, in fact, I think it's one of his favorite points was drive out fear, point number eight. Yeah. so that everyone may work effectively for the company. Well, he started purposely introducing fear. And now think about it, right? When someone gets on the low end of the curve, the next time they do it, there's a high probability they're going to get something much higher. And someone who is high end of the curve, the next time they do it, there's a very yeah. high probability they're going to get something lower. Right. So we're going to regress to the mean. So what, what happened the last time I ran it, uh, the, the employee of the day, Michael, who had gotten four in the first round, significantly better than average. He got 12 on day two. And the person I put on probation, the person who had 15, her performance improved a little bit to 11. Right. Right. So uh, but still, that's significant. So what Dr. Deming did in that case, right, is, is he said, OK, what does this teach me if I don't really understand, you know, the whole concept of variability and histograms and control charts? Well, if I just look at the raw data and I'm a manager, not a leader, then what this would conclude is, is that the person who got four, I praised and they got worse. So clearly yeah. praise does not <laughs> have much of an impact well yeah and even even today people laugh about that when they think of like you know do people behave like that in the year 2017 uh you know say oh well you know he slacked off because we praised him which right exactly and then the person that got the high number and was put on probation got better so clearly fear works so uh you know 
you know, basically driving home the fact that, uh, hey, I now need to start putting fear into everybody, and maybe that'll make them perform better. But again, the workers had no impact, right? And, and he knew that, so he was just, you know, this is all tongue in cheek uh, to try to to make these points. Um, so the second day, he put in a uh, a goal, right? Uh, and again, this is this is addresses, I think, one of his 14 points that's the most controversial. Mm -hmm. Every time I share these 14 with a group of executives, this is the one they have the most heartburn with, uh, which is basically abolishing the, the whole idea of management by objective. And um, and again, Dr. Deming was talking about how you know, hey, if you set an arbitrary goal then that's going to drive behavior yeah. towards that goal um, when in fact maybe you could do significantly better than that goal or maybe that's going to drive you to do stupid things. Yeah. Um, well, like, no, uh, people distort the system or they cut corners or they cheat. We see that here, here in the year 2016 or the year 2017, like last year, you know, with the Wells Fargo scandal, um, those employees were given – um, outrageously unrealistic goals for the number of accounts per customer. And, you know, a couple thousand people were fired for, for cheating that system when, you know, they, they, they were trying to, you know, it was a matter of survival and executives got big bonuses because people distorted the system and made things look good. Now, you know, there's finally some re repercussions uh, to some of those Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo executives, but you know, we just see this. I've seen this in workplaces where I've been. And yeah, I mean, you, you know, you set the unrealistic target and, you know, uh, you know, Dr. Deming or, you know, people like, um, you know, Brian Joyner or Don Wheeler always make the same point. You can, three things can happen. Um, people can distort the numbers. They can distort the system or they can improve the system. And those those two distortion options are usually easier and more uh, within people's control than actually improving the system. So, of course. Of course, that cheating happens, right? Yeah, it, it, in in uh, one of my classes, I always ask, you know, uh, let's assume that you're in charge of a, a fabrication department, and I was your boss and came to you, and I said that you had to cut your scrap by half by tomorrow, or you're fired. Could you do it? And it's funny how many hands go up, and the uh, type of answers they come up with pretty quickly, usually are things like, well, I just wouldn't record the scrap anymore, <laughs> right. or Hide I just scrap. production. I'm just not going to make anything tomorrow, and then I won't have any scrap. When, when, when I worked at GM, people, this is going back 1995, people in the plant under under all, the, all of this pressure, they literally hid scrap. And so it was as if it didn't exist until it got reported out financially. So you could stack it up someplace in the far corner of the factory, and people would pretend it didn't exist. Right. Well, um, when I was at GE, um, making refrigerators, you know, uh, um, production output was the number one goal. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would routinely put refrigerators into boxes without doors mm -hmm. and put them on the trucks just so that we could get credit for shipping them. Yeah. And then take them off the trucks and unbox them and put the doors back on uh, on overtime the next month. Yeah, um, yeah, just so that we could hit that production yeah. number. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it, it, it's very real for sure. The uh, the, um, the the other side of that, you know, you're saying you know, if you set a goal, that becomes a limit. Um, 
I, I heard somebody tell a story recently about an organization that set a goal, something like, you know, every, you know, every employee should have two uh, improvement ideas that they implement each year. So that two became a limit and employees were purposely holding back. And, and I've heard of that before, that people hold them back until the next time period because they're afraid they won't come up with any. But the thing that killed me, this version of the story is that people were actually selling ideas for cups of coffee or lunch, or it was almost like, like, you know, some TV prison show scene where, you know, these, oh, these ideas had a street value and they were traded and swapped. <laughs> and it's just, but it's understandable. I mean, it's, right. even, yeah, it's amazing how human behavior is very constant, and uh, every every action has a reaction, and you've got to understand what those reactions are going to be. Um, you know, so you're right. Setting a goal is a limiting factor. When in fact, instead, you know, and again, Dr. Deming talked a lot about the difference between manage, managing and leading. A leader would say, hey, let's try to implement as many ideas as we can and work together mm -hmm. as a team and uh, with the understanding that this is going to help us meet our customers' needs and uh, give you know, better job security for everyone as we, uh, as we meet those needs um, instead of playing games. Um, yeah. So anyway, the, just, just to continue on this real mm -hmm. quick, the, um, so, so he set a goal of of, in, in his case, uh, he set the goal as three, but his average, I think, was a little higher than yours because um, nobody came, except for the one four, that nobody really even came close to three. Um, and then, you know, he started asking, well, wait a minute, um, you know, why aren't people hitting the goal? And he even said, uh, management is deeply concerned with these figures. Management wants a complete report on what happened. Um, you know, uh, so again, um, yeah, say performance is horrible. Management will close the place down if we do not improve. Enjoy your work day because this might be your last day. <laughs> Um, so, so, uh, um, so that was the second day was gave him a goal of three on the third day. And I love this one. This was probably one of Dr. Deming's greatest pet peeves of his 14 points. This is the one that probably gets the least amount of attention, but he talked about this quite a bit and he emphasized this on the next day. He basically said, okay, um, Clearly, we're not even coming close to the, to the objective, the three. So management has gotten together, and we have decided to help the workers out. And now, you know, of course, the willing workers are now thinking, oh, good, they're going to let us sort the beads, or they're yeah. going to let us do something to help out here. And then all of a sudden, he put up on the overhead screen, we've decided to go out and purchase you know, $100,000 worth of quality posters <laughs> and put them up all over the factory. And I even have them written down here. He says, you know, uh, um, yeah, we bought these posters at great expense. <laughs> and one was um, do it right the first yeah. time. Uh, another one was be a quality worker. Um, another one, take pride in your work. Uh, so, again, all of these are implying, the posters are implying 
that it's all the workers' right. fault. Yeah. If they just tried a little harder, the system would improve. But the system's flaw has nothing to do with the workers. Um, and again, this gets back to uh, his point number 10, which is eliminate slogans mm -hmm. uh, and, and instead, uh, or, or targets for the workforce asking for zero defects, uh, instead institute leadership. Yeah. Um, and again, whenever I work with a group of executives and ask them to rate these 14 points mm. on how relevant they are, uh, that one usually gets the least amount of relevance yeah. because they don't really understand what's the meaning behind that. Yeah, you know, so, hey, stop blaming the workers when yeah. it's the system that's broken. Right. Yeah. So when 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 I run this, um, I I throw up on screen um, some different posters, and and they're actually they're images of honest to goodness posters that you could go buy on the internet. Oh really? Yeah, and <laughs> I, they're, they're they're not ironic joke posters. I mean, these are these are real uh, posters that uh, an organization sells. And one of them, maybe I'll put a picture in the blog post. It says, "Quality begins with you." And there's a slogan. It says, "Think quality." And there's uh, a man in a hat with a mustache pointing. And I mean, it looks like like a Joseph Stalin or somebody really <laughs> terrifying. And it's I don't understand where, you know, like what who 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 well people do buy them right <laughs> right oh yeah oh they wouldn't be in business right yeah I know it's frightening um, well anyway and then to kind of finish it out so he's gone through uh, three days and then what Dr Deming does and this is where I I, I have a little bit different spin uh, like you were talking about before but on on Dr Ding's last day. What he does is he basically takes the three best performing workers mm -hmm. and uh, fires the other three, or just tells them to leave, takes the three best and have them do it twice. And so, again, emphasizing the fact that, hey, you know what, we're going to take our best performing workers and have them do it. And, of course, the results are the same. Um, and he, of course, gets very disappointed, right? In fact, I've got here, um, you know, worst day ever. Um, yeah. The, uh, uh, he says, what happened? Our best workers couldn't, couldn't do it. Um, you know, uh, worst day with the best workers, plant must close down. Yeah. And we'll keep your name on file. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, now, what I do is a little bit different. Again, it's all about that eight point about driving out fear. I basically, instead of picking the best workers, I basically tell all the workers that, um, you know, if you do not get uh, zero defects, you're fired. Yeah. And... Yeah. So of course, and again, they can't. They can't. You know, they have no control over how many defects. But they're trying. You know, they they'll try to like pick out the white ones and place them on the paddle with "I'm yeah. not looking," or yeah. they'll try yeah. to get two or three samples. Um, but uh, but you, you know, of course, they can't get zero. Or it's very rare to get zero. So they start getting fired. But the data comes out accurate. Yeah. 
after doing that a few times, I changed it up slightly. I said, okay, in this, this time, if any worker goes above zero, everyone mm. is fired, including the quality department yeah. and the inspectors. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's fascinating because by putting that one change in, and then, then I'll purposely kind of turn my back yeah. to the thing. <laughs> and it's and predictable sudden, what happens. Yeah. Right. All of a sudden, the data comes up zeros mm -hmm. all the way down the column. And, uh, and I'll turn back around and I'll look at that and I'll say, wow, yeah. look how much better we've gotten. Yeah. This was amazing. So clearly we can do it. You know, clearly we can hit zero every time. Of course, everybody's laughing because they know what happened. Yeah. But it really emphasizes this whole point about if you don't drive out fear, then it's going to cause people to do really right. stupid, bad stuff including fudging the numbers yeah and and again at that point there is no hope for making improvement happen yeah well yeah and, and it goes to show i mean think of you know situations in the real world you know these willing workers um had no interest in cheating they were they were doing their best and when when people get put under extreme pressure i mean i mentioned wells fargo if you look what happened the va waiting time scandals um, you know, people are either threatened with, uh, you know, managers are getting threatened either with losing their job or not getting promoted or not getting bonuses. Um, that leads to all sorts of cheating. Look what happens in um, school districts with um, teachers and sometimes principals conspiring um, to, to cheat in different ways, um, help the students cheat on standardized testing or you know, in some cases, actually going and erasing and changing answers after the fact. Um, that's not what anybody would naturally uh, deviously scheme to do. It's a reaction to pressure being put on them by the system and, and that fear that, that you mentioned, that fear that Dr. Deming talked about. Right. Absolutely. And I've seen it myself. Um, it's just amazing how... Um, how that will drive good people, good willing workers to do really dumb things or bad things just in the name of trying to hit a, a target or yeah. trying to keep their job or try. And actually it's, it's interesting because, you know, we talk a lot and I know you talk about this quite a bit as well, the importance of teams when doing improvement, right? Yeah. The one thing about teams though, that you have to be careful about is, is that, uh, it will also drive a bit of this mentality because people don't want to let the team down, mm. right? I mean, I hey, if, if, if it's my job, well, that's my own fault. But if I make the team look bad, now all of a sudden it's all of my peers and friends that I've got a connection to because I'm part of this team, and we're all in trouble. Mm. So sometimes people that are connect, really heavily connected to a team can also do kind of dumb things to make the team look better than it really is. Yeah. Um, so that's something to kind of watch out for. Got to be careful about that. Yeah. So um, anyway, it, again, it's a, it's a great exercise, a great, you know, he called it, again, keep in mind, he called it the Red Beat Experiment um, because... He, again, this was, was all kind of a, 
psychological exercise, if you will, to drive home these really deep points yeah. about how, again, ones we've talked about, right? Uh, uh, don't blame the workers. Instead, look at the system. Um, you know, emphasizing several of the 14 points throughout the, uh, the activity. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the effect that a, setting an arbitrary goal has on the morale of the workers, um, the, the real meaning behind those posters, uh, what fear can do to the, uh, to the organization or to the system. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some very deep meanings behind uh, everything that he did as part of this experiment. Um, and I, like I said, I've, I've now done this myself many, many times, and uh, yeah. the, a lot of eyes get open, especially in the uh, management ranks. Well, and that's really who the experiment is designed for, to try to influence um, senior executives, right? It's, that's exactly right. You know, and, and in fact, actually it is designed for the, the, the managers, but the workers that also participate oh. in this, um, you know, it's kind of a bit of a, you can see a bit of a relief, right? <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like, I've been trying to tell people yeah. that it's not my fault. You know, I've been trying to tell people that it's the system. The system is broken. You know, management has given me bad tools, bad uh, uh, material to work with, bad machines. Uh, and yet they're trying to tell me I've got to meet these quotas, meet these objectives. And it's not my fault. And right. it's like it's kind of like it's like this relief. Wow. I've been trying to tell them this all this time. And finally someone gets yeah and, and there's a difference between you know a dumb poster or a person saying you know oh, quality is every quality is your responsibility quality starts with you quality is everybody's responsibility you know where dr deming said quality starts in the boardroom right exactly exactly starts starts with the the company's leaders um you know understanding why this is so important um, I mean, think about it, and this is, again, this is what I love about Dr. Deming. You know, he was a statistician, uh, you know, a professor in statistics, and you would think he would be one of the last people <laughs> to really yeah. emphasize the role that culture and leadership and, and um, understanding human behavior would have on the system. But, I mean... Look at the impact that he had in, in Japan. You know, uh, it, it was so deep that, uh, again, any, any plant or, well, I shouldn't say any, but many of the plants that I have visited in Japan, it's amazing how they have incorporated every one of these 14 points and live it every day. Yep. Um, and, um, you know, even, what is it, you know, Almost uh, 25 years um, after his passing, right? Um, it's pretty incredible to think that that one person had such a profound impact on on an entire country. Well, and and that it, the, these lessons and and the scenarios could still be so relevant today, whether it was 1987 or 2017. 
you know, I think, you know, as you as you commented, you know, I think one thing that's fast, there's a lot of things fascinating about Dr. Deming, but, you know, he often gets labeled as a statistician because that was his degree. Um, but, you know, Dr. Deming said the most important aspect uh, for a manager is understanding psychology and understanding people and understanding employees as individuals, which, um, you know, it sounds more like social sciences than uh, than math. Um, you mentioned earlier and, um, you know, uh, you know, we we'll maybe wrap up in a couple of minutes. You had mentioned um, control charts and, you know, control chart and you can use this exercise to learn. Um, how to do a control chart and to see common cause variation. But I mean, it sounds like from what you're saying that the greatest the greatest lessons from the red beat experiment are not about the math and the numbers, but more about people, the psychology, the leadership. Right. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. And that, that's that's how I use it as well as, you know, when I do the red beat experiment, we go through all of what Dr. Deming went through. And then what we'll do is, is we'll take all that data and that was collected and put it onto a control chart. And all of a sudden you start to see that, you know, like you said, you know, the average is 10 with a lower control limit of, of two and an upper control mm -hmm. limit of, you know, 18. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, okay, when, when you tell the worker they have to get zero, basically that would indicate that a special cause. Yeah. Uh, based on the chart um, and uh, um, which means that they had to have cheated somehow, some way, yeah. because that's outside of the norm most of the time. Now I will tell you, you'll get a kick out of this. In all the times I've done it, one time, one time we got zero. And it was actually when I was demonstrating it to the willing workers at the beginning, I put the paddle in, mm -hmm pulled out the paddle, not a single red bead. And of course, everybody was like, whoa. I would be really shocked. Yeah, well, I was too, yeah. but but I'd done it enough up to that point to know that that was very unusual. Yeah. So I played I played it. You know, I went, went along with it and said, well, well see, see, this is how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody, you know, from that point on, everybody, oh, there's got to be a trick. There's yeah. got to be something. They think you're a magician. <laughs> right, right, right. I just got super, super lucky, you know, that point you know, oh, one percent chance. Uh, and it, it actually played out. And um, um, so, it, you know, it is possible, but yeah. highly, I, highly improbable. I, I think the lowest I've seen um, is is two. And, and this is the last time playing it. I've, I've done you know, that one variation of setting a goal of three and then offering uh, an incentive of, of twenty dollars and um, leaving that open for a couple of rounds. And I've never had to pay off the $20. Or when I was in Brussels, it was a 20 euro note. But um, in, when I was in Brussels, somebody uh, actually got two in the second round before I offered the incentive. And so when I offered the incentive, that guy said, like, well, hey, do I, I already did that. Do I get the 20? And I said, well, no, you proved it was possible. Now <laughs> the incentive is to get others or to get you to repeat your performance. And of course, nobody did. Right. <laughs> nobody did. Yeah, I'm looking at the results. Nobody did better than six after I offered the incentive. That would, that would come very close to saying, hey, I'll give you $20 if you roll a one on two dice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very, very, very uh, improbable. Yeah, 
Um, so, um, but but again, the like you said, the other real key to all of this is how we look at data, understanding how variation works, um, understanding um, you know uh, um, the impact that data can have on on decision making, correctly or incorrectly. Um, so, one last thing, and if you don't mind, I'll, yeah, I'll go ahead. Quick, quick plug of of uh, I I do also write articles for Industry Week. Uh, I've been writing now for three and a half years, uh, so um, I do have one coming up that will hopefully be out in the next couple of weeks. That is all about the role that variability plays in uh, understanding capacity, uh, capacity in uh, both product and service, and how that can have a huge positive impact if uh, if you can figure out how to reduce that. Uh, variability in your capacity to produce, which basically is almost like getting free product other than the material cost. Yeah, You're already paying for the labor, you're already paying for the overhead, so any additional capacity you can squeeze out of a system, uh, and assuming you can sell it, uh, has, you know that product or service has tremendous margins. Yeah. Um, so again, it kind of ties right in with understanding how how the data works, how variability works, and how it, that relates to the output of a particular system. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, if somebody would like to learn more about that, they can, uh, you know, go to the industryweek.com website at some point in the next couple of weeks and find my article. So. Yeah, and it's certainly okay you mentioned that because I was just about to ask you <laughs> to give a plug. Uh, for your columns, your articles, where, how, how, what are some other ways people can find you online if they'd like to contact you uh, for different Yeah, different uh, there are a lot of John Dyers out there. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's John Dyer PI, all one word, PI for process improvement. Not, 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 not private, not for private investigator. Oh, you know, <laughs> right, right. I beat, I stepped uh, on your joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's all right. But yeah, yeah. So John Dyer PI, um, if you, if you'd like to see some of my articles at Industry Week, uh, you can go to uh, industryweek.com slash author slash John hyphen Dyer, D-Y-E-R. And uh, there's a web page there where you can pull up um, the articles I've written for Industry Week. Yeah, so. and there's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, I will link to those articles. Uh, again, if, if this is your first time um, hearing a discussion with John here, go back to episode uh, 229 um, to hear more of John, John's reflections um, on, on Dr. Deming, Six Sigma, his time at GE, uh, and beyond. You can find that by going to leanblog.org slash 229. You can find it in the podcast feed if you subscribe um, to the podcast. You can find that episode on iTunes or wherever else you find podcasts. So um, John Dyer, um, again, has been our guest today. John, uh, a real pleasure talking to you and um, really appreciate you sharing um, about the Red Bead experiment, having a conversation about sharing recollections uh, of your time with Dr. Deming uh, and uh, what you're doing today. So thank you again for being our guest. All right. Thanks, Mark, for having me. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. 
If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.